Today's scripture reading is from the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. Uh, You can find it on page 6 of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you, Kwaku. Well, I'll be jumping back into the pulpit here starting next week. Um, It's a blessing and a joy today to introduce a guest speaker, guest preacher, uh, Pastor Joel St. Clair, Uh, the church planter and pastor of Mosaic Silver Spring Church. And uh, I've got to tell you, I've been waiting for this opportunity for a long time, hoping to have Joel come and and preach to you all and to introduce him to you and our community. Joel is a a dear friend, and uh, his church has been up and running now for how long? Four, three, four, three years now, and they just celebrated their, here's a Presbyterian word for you, their particularization service, which is uh, another way of saying they have officially become a church, ordained their first ruling elders, and constituted as a community in our denomination. So a real blessing, a massive milestone, uh, but also a brother who shares a lot of convictions as ours trying to build a cross-cultural community in Silver Spring with the richness of the gospel right there in the middle always trying to communicate with people of a wide variety of spiritual backgrounds, always. So uh, a lot of affinity and a lot of brotherhood and sisterhood that we get to share with uh, Mosaic Silver Spring. Uh, Joel is also just about one of the most diligent and sincere-hearted ministers that I know amongst my peers. And so I'm, I'm so grateful to walk alongside with him as we sort of fumble along by God's grace and figure out what the heck we're doing, right, and trying to uh, pastor different churches. So anyway, uh, without further ado, this is uh, my brother uh, and our guest speaker today, uh, Pastor Joel St. Clair. And uh, let me pray for him, and then I'll ask you to warmly welcome him. Jesus, thank you so much for this brother. Thank you for his ministry, his life. And thank you for the blessing that we have to receive your word through him. And as you press your eternal truth through his personality, through his experiences, through his convictions, we pray that you would bring to us 
the grace of God through your word and that you would impact our lives, change us, uh, move us, challenge us. Uh, we pray that every person here would be uh, spoken to by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but bless this time. Uh, be with Joel, but be with us as listeners and hearers and eventually doers of the word as well. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's welcome Joel together. Good morning. Uh, thank you for the welcome. It is, uh, it's a delight to be here. Silver Spring is uh, not that far. Uh, we are connected uh, by Georgia Avenue and by 16th Street, kind of the two corridors that uh, are arteries that run out of the city and kind of run you right into the heart uh, of Silver Spring and where my family and I live uh, and where our church is now meeting. Uh, and uh, just off of Georgia Avenue, uh, you can find, uh, once you cross the district line into Silver Spring, uh, my favorite date spot, Urban Butcher. Uh, that is where I take my wife uh, as frequently as we can afford a babysitter. Uh, you can also find the second best Ethiopian place in Silver Spring just across the street. Uh, a few blocks down, you can find the best uh, Greek place uh, in town. Uh, uh, but right in that area, there is a place called Joe's Record Paradise. And Joe's Record Paradise is the place, it is the place in Silver Spring where you would go uh, to buy vinyl records. If you are into vinyl or uh, if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, this will still apply. Just stick with me. Uh, but basically, the uh, records uh, are the old school way. Uh, and some, uh, this is debated, uh, would be uh, the, the higher quality way uh, to listen to both classic and contemporary music. And uh, what is fantastic about Joe's is that it has been around Silver Spring. It's like an institution. And while Silver Spring has done its best to elbow Joe's around, moving from location to location to location since 1973, it has hung in at Silver Spring. But in its current spot, next to my favorite date place and the second best Ethiopian place and the best Greek food place, uh, it has just been bumped because a developer has bought that building and uh, it is going to be rubble. Uh, and so they are in the process of moving in, uh, you know, like seven blocks north, but still in Silver Spring. They are still sticking with it. And the Washington Post, uh, uh, one of their reporters, John Kelly, did an article about uh, Joe's records. And uh, he opens and talks about this being their sixth move, but the attempt to stay in the city uh, or in Silver Spring and what that has meant uh, to them. And he leads saying the last time they did this move, uh, the owner, uh, Johnson Lee, lost 20 pounds and did the move in the midst of a snowstorm. So moving lots of, you know, 200,000 records uh, from one location to the next shows, I think, a fairly substantial commitment to place. And through the article, uh, the hanging question, almost kind of uh, behind the print, the question that gets pressed in on Johnson is, why do you keep doing it? This is your sixth time. Vinyl, you know, half of you, maybe more, don't even know what vinyl is. Uh, and yet he is running a vinyl shop, right, to sell these records to the neighborhood. Uh, he doesn't sell his records online. Uh, he only in person, you have to come in and engage with his staff. Uh, and so what's hanging behind the print kind of, you know, the superficial story is, wow, these guys do a lot of work to move to stay in Silver Spring. 
what's behind that is the question, why? Why would you be so committed to a place that clearly makes it difficult for you to stay? Why with the competing tension points of the changing market from uh, hard copy music to digital, uh, with the increasing development uh, in our neighborhood, why would you stick around? And at the end of the article, it's almost, you can almost miss it. It's one line. Uh, he asks about this not selling online. And this is what Johnson Lee, the owner, says. He says, I don't sell online because I want the D.C. area to have an amazing record collection. Should I sell our culture to the highest bidder or should I keep it here in the DMV? That is what he leads with. Uh, why not, uh, you know, go online? Why not try to compete? Why, you know, surely that would be better for your bottom line. Maybe you wouldn't actually have to move. And for him, the cost is worth it to keep the culture in our place. There is a cost to holding on to the culture of a neighborhood. Often there are competing tensions of what this place should become. And in Silver Spring, and I'm guessing around here, uh, these tension points don't change. But that's not just a Metro DC thing. Uh, that's not just a 21st century thing. That's not a modern invention. For thousands of years and across the world, as cultures change, as new tension points are introduced, there is a pressure for people to work out what it means to hold on to a true neighborhood, what it means to truly and faithfully live life together. How do we do that? And that is the tension that Paul, one of the leaders of the early church in the first century, is writing. Uh, he is addressing this tension point of how do you live life together in a changing world, oftentimes with tension points that press in on you, that make you want to break apart. For them, it wasn't the rising of more construction cranes or property values that were driving them out. It was physical violence and persecution. And Paul is writing to this newly formed Christian community to say, hang in there, hang in there. It's hard, but we don't do this just to be prosperous. We do it for the sake of our city. And this morning, we are going to close Paul's letter uh, with three points working toward this tension, both for the Thessalonian Christians who faced persecution, who faced turbulent times, uh, who faced the pressures to shift away from their newfound Christian belief and to turn their backs on the newly formed Christian community. Paul is writing to them, but he's not just writing to them. He's writing to you, brothers and sisters. He's writing to you as residents in a place that face different sorts of tension, but still the same questions of how do we live life together? What does that look like for us? And we're going to tackle that in three points. Respect your leaders, care for everyone, and rest in Jesus. So first, 
respect your leaders. And if you have your uh, bulletin or worship guide open, I would encourage you to follow along. If you have uh, Bibles with you, I would encourage you to leave them open or apps on your phone or tablet. Uh, I'm going to refer back, and it may be helpful for you to follow along with me uh, so that you can track better. But in verses uh, 12 and 13, Paul exhorts the community to respect their leaders. We ask you, brothers and sisters, in verse 12, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. What I love about preaching uh, this morning in particular about how to engage your leaders is I get to dodge the charge that this is self-serving, right? What's fantastic about it, if you're going to have to preach on how you should respond to your leadership, what's fantastic is to do that in a place where you're not technically on the hook, right? So I get to uh, dodge the charge that I'm coming from a self-serving or self-interested point of view. Uh, with that said, Paul uh, founded this church that he's writing to. He started it, and in the midst of their formation, things got so hot with the competing pressures of uh, the Greco-Roman world and with the religious authorities who had different visions of what it looked like to live life together and what this news of Jesus the one who claimed to be king, the one who was crucified by the Romans, the one who was raised from the dead. As this news spreads throughout the city, there's some people who aren't too happy with this. And in Paul's original journey here at the foundation of the church, uh, it gets so hot that a riot erupts. And Paul gets booted out. And the church has to continue to figure out life together with new leadership. And so Paul is writing back to them, and he's saying, know your leaders. It says here in the English translation to respect your leaders, and that's true and certainly part of what Paul is going after. But the word that he uses here is to know them. And know is, uh, it, it has broad shoulders for a word. It, it, it carries quite a bit of load on it. It doesn't just mean know who your leaders are, like you can point them out from across the room. Uh, it doesn't just mean know their name and in case of an emergency, have their contact info stored in your phone. It means know them well enough uh, that you can live life alongside them. That when uh, they engage you and you engage them, you can sincerely pursue a deeper relationship. One of the great benefits of uh, planting new churches and seeing new communities form where people value the neighborhood and they value the place where they live. One of the great benefits of that is that you don't have to commute 90 minutes to run into someone you know in the community. That you don't have to travel across the city to connect with those who lead you. And that provides a great opportunity to know them. But I want to talk just for a minute what knowing means, what it means to know, respect, and love your leaders, and maybe what it doesn't mean. So just a few things about what, what does that look like? Uh, okay, life together. Okay, know them, love, and respect them. But uh, what does that actually look like? First, it means that you are careful uh, with how you talk and evaluate your leaders, that uh, when someone stands and uh, delivers a sermon, 
uh, when someone meets with you to work through the pains and difficulties of life, when someone comes alongside you to rejoice, uh, that isn't an invitation to snipe at them your first lunch or coffee away, right? It is uh, knowing and respecting leaders means uh, talking about them uh, and assuming the best of them whenever you have that opportunity. So uh, knowing and respecting those who care for you, it reshapes how you speak and think about them. It means that you recognize that they work to care not only for you, but for the full community. One of the best ways that I can describe to you what it's like to be a pastor or a leader of a church is it's like wearing one of those weight vests uh, that, uh, you know, if, if guys are trying or men or women are trying to work out, uh, get stronger, get faster, they can, like, throw a weight vest on uh, over their shirt and run around. I don't know if you've seen anyone on your streets doing this, uh, but it's a way to kind of improve, uh, you know, uh, your muscles and endurance. And uh, being a pastor is a little bit like throwing on an emotional weight vest. That is, oftentimes, you are entering into the real hurts and pains of the community, right? You are taking it on, and you can't always make that known. And so you go through life day to day, and someone sees you, and they smile, and say, hey, how's it going, Duke? And you're expected to smile back and say, ah, it's going great. And you're not always afforded the luxury of pointing to the emotional weight vest that you're wearing as you labor to care and love and pray for and serve and bring together and make news known in your community. That is reason, friends, to know and respect your leaders. Be reminded that they work to care for the community as a whole. Knowing and respecting them means that you appreciate the appropriate boundaries of work. What does that mean? Don't joke with Duke about just working on Sundays. Uh, it's not fair to him, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it always puts uh, me, anyway, in an awkward spot to know how to respond. Uh, what do you say to that? It means uh, recognize that he works throughout the week, but that there are seasons and times where boundaries need to be set so that he can care for his own soul, so that he can care for Paula and their kids well. That is part of what it means to know and respect your pastor. Quickly, what it doesn't mean is that you don't idolize him. You don't think that he has all of the answers to all of the problems that you face. Any leader of any community, the deaconesses here, the deacons, the elders of grace, the pastoral staff, all of them are men and women just like you. So while they have lived some life, while they have received some training, while they may be mature in many ways, they struggle with sin, uh, they battle against it, they need Jesus just as much as all of us. And so it means loving and knowing them is to not to idolize them, not to raise them on such a high spiritual pedestal that you can't reach them. Uh, Finally, it means that uh, you don't have to, it, it doesn't mean that you have to agree and nod your head with everything that your leaders say. It means that when you disagree or when there's conflict within the community, that you pursue it in a healthy way. 
I think that's why Paul, in this passage in verse 12 and 13, he uh, says, we ask you. It's almost as if he implores them, hey, listen up. I'm asking, guys, uh, you know, uh, please be respectful, love, and care for your leaders. But then he ends with, uh, in this section on leaders, be at peace among yourselves. And he gives that, uh, it's almost as if he pauses and he's like, real talk, be at peace, though. That's how he unpacks it. So he asks, and he says, listen, know and respect and care for the leadership whom God has called to faithfully serve this community. But don't be divisive about it. Be at peace. Pursue peace. Love one another. That's what it means to live together and to live with your leaders. It also means to care for everyone. And verse 14 uh, is uh, a fantastic unpacking of uh, some of the ways in which we need to approach the people in our communities. Have you ever heard that saying, if uh, 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 all you have is a hammer, then all of the world is a nail? That's right. If you have one tool, then guess what everything and everyone becomes? Uh, It becomes the recipient of your one tool, right? And in verse 14, Paul, in a sense, is saying, listen, community, you need more than one tool, okay? Keep growing and expanding your toolbox and add to how your community interacts. Keep adding to it. And so this is what he says in verse 14. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle or uh, undisciplined disorderly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. I don't know that idleness is much of a problem uh, in metro, uh, in the metro D.C. area. Uh, my sense is that uh, it's not that everyone just kind of sits around and takes long naps, kind of wakes up and says, I don't know what I'm going to do with my day. Uh, it's much more that we kind of suffer uh, uh, more to not so much the idleness side, but I think the disorderly side, that we are so busy in so many ways with so many peripheral things uh, that we we, we forget how to prioritize our lives. And Paul here is encouraging us as a community when you run across someone and you keep trying to connect with them for coffee or a beer or for a meal. And you say, hey, you want to get together? They say, yeah, it's great. I'm just so busy. Uh, And you say, what are you busy with? Uh, And uh, it's not uh, performing the Heimlich on the person choking across the room. Uh, You know, it's not uh, not something that seems to be a high priority. Then over time, if that becomes a pattern in one another's lives and you recognize it, Paul is saying you can can speak truthfully, truly with one another. You can say, wow. Hey, listen, I would love to connect with you. I would love to pursue a relationship. Uh, But we need to make time for that to happen. My sense is uh, that you are too busy for community. Now, that is incredibly hard to say. But I think if each of us reflect for a moment and say, look, are there emails in our inboxes that could afford to just be deleted? Uh, You know, are there things that are filling our schedule that we absolutely have to engage with? Or do we try to create some margin to focus on our community? That's the sense here. 
he continues this, encourages the faint-hearted. So uh, admonish the idle, but you don't just do that. Someone may not just be idle or disorderly. They may be making a genuine effort and just struggling. Uh, if you come across someone and they say, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, maybe even if they say I'm busy, Paul is challenging us not just to judge them and their situation, not just to immediately respond, you're not trying hard enough, you need to be more efficient. I have an app for that. Paul is challenging us as a community. When you live life together, you don't just accept the, the first shot of I'm busy or I'm hurting uh, or uh, I'm struggling and say, oh, I know what's going on in your life. You go under that. You dive in. And here, uh, it's a little bit, uh, the encourage the faint-hearted, it's, it's a little bit how uh, I have, uh, how gym memberships have functioned in my life. Um, I'm sure this is just me. Uh, I'm sure this doesn't apply to any of you, but oftentimes I have the best intentions. Uh, you know, I sign up for a gym membership. I pay whatever it is, a deposit. I fill out the online form, and, uh, you know, I go. I show up for the orientation. I'm on time. Uh, I have uh, maybe even a new workout outfit, uh, and, you know, I get rolling. Like two or three months into it, uh, you know, I begin to really realize that waking up uh, to my alarm and heading into the gym is not as comfortable as just sleeping a little longer. Uh, and so the challenge to stick with it becomes harder. Uh, and uh, pursuing it, uh, the further you get in, uh, becomes a challenge. And you know what? That's a lot like what spiritual growth is like. That is a lot like what spiritual growth, uh, how it functions in our lives. And so if you are here and you're on a spiritual journey and you say, look, I, I'm not convinced that I'm a Christian and I, I don't know what to think about a resurrected Jesus, but I, I want something more spiritual in my life. I, I want to wrestle through. I want more than just what I know now. I think there's a way to become connected with God, and I want to pursue that. I'm here to tell you that that is uh, what Christianity's invitation is to you. It is an invitation to pursue that. But I want to be honest and upfront with you so that you have clear eyes as you head forward. Maybe even go to the membership class on May 14th when the location is determined. Then... You are going to receive this invitation, and you're going to begin working it out, and you're going to sign the papers or fill out the online form, and you're going to show up. You may even have a new outfit, but you are soon going to be confronted with the realization that it's one thing to want to get into spiritual shape. It's quite another to day in and day out wrestle with the reality of sin and to go at your own to go on a spiritual journey on your own apart from a community, I think is treacherous. And so Paul is reminding us of that reality. And he's saying, listen, there are going to be people who start with your community, and they may be at very different points on their spiritual journey, and you need to do your best as a community to not only recognize that, but to encourage them along. Not to judge them as if, why haven't you made more progress? And not to write them off 
as if you're never going to get there. Nah, just say, you know, don't do it. But to actually come alongside them, that can be hardest in multi-ethnic and multi-generational communities. And so you have an especial challenge. Because when you go through life with a majority culture paradigm, that is how you see the world, you can be too quick to judge when you come across people who are struggling. It calls for you to be especially aware of your heart's disposition when you come across ethnic minorities or people who aren't in your age or socioeconomic level. It calls for you to listen, for you to engage, and trust me, for you to learn. And so Paul exhorts us all, life together involves encouraging the faint-hearted. Finally, help the weak. Here, he closes uh, verse 14, not only to admonish the idle or disorderly, to encourage the faint-hearted, but to help along the weak. Not those who started and they're kind of losing their way, but those who truly have uh, obstacles that are too high to clear themselves or weight that's just too heavy to bear. Help them, love them, care for them. This is, for Paul, what it looks like for us to live life together. Finally, well, actually, before we get to the last point, one quick note. On fifth, in verse 15, he pivots and he says, See to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. See, most of this letter, the brothers and sisters uh, language throughout the letter, it's not just in chapter 5, he's writing to you as a church community. Uh, This letter, and you hear it at the end, he says, just read the letter out loud in front of the church. They need to hear this. And uh, it's about how they work life out together. But churches themselves, just as individuals can't pursue their own spiritual journey alone, they should do it in the context of a community, a church never functions in isolation. They function in the context of broader neighborhoods, in the place where God has put them. And in verse 15, it's a reminder that we are to not only encourage and exhort and help our own community, that's where it starts, but that we are to avoid evil and to pursue the good of the broader neighborhood, the place where God has put us. That is an incredible challenge as Christians. But it is the joy of entering into a community of faith is that you now have the opportunity to live life, to put on display the ways in which the news of Jesus Christ has shaped you so that not only you're helping one another along, but that you function as a witness to the broader neighborhood. Well, that is a high task. Paul goes on, uh, it, you know, have you ever talked with someone and they say, uh, you know, I'm going to run a marathon and I'm going to climb, uh, climb Mount Everest. I'm going to, uh, you know, start my own company. Uh, you know, for me, it's I'm going to redesign the church website. Uh, these are all things that are just incredibly easy to say and they sound great and everyone nods. Oh, that's so fantastic. You're going to run a marathon. You're going to work on that website. That is great. Uh, And then you get in there and you start doing it, and you're just like, this is incredibly hard. 
uh, what have I gotten into? And I feel oftentimes that's like reading the rest of Paul's letter. Uh, you know, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. I mean, do you hear this? These are like, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, don't despise the prophecies, test everything, go ahead and hold on to what is good. Paul is rolling off for us uh, uh, what it looks like to live together, and reading it oftentimes can be far easier than living it. Uh, in fact, for me, I, honestly, I, I read through it uh, this week in preparation for this morning, and you just began to get beat down. You know, if, if this becomes uh, the checklist, so to speak, of how you're doing at living life together, I can tell you uh, I don't have many check marks uh, on my list, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. It's a struggle. So where's the hope? How do we do it? Is this uh, is Paul giving us impossible tasks that we're to live together, we're to care for one another, we're to help the weak, we're to encourage those who are faint-hearted, we're to involve ourselves in real talk with those who are doing things they shouldn't? How are we supposed to do all of that? And in the end, Paul closes it out and reminds us that these aren't steps that we take as Christians to find our way to Jesus. Uh, these aren't things that, uh, you know, here's the roadmap, and when you finish all these steps, then you arrive at Jesus. Paul reminds us in the benediction, that is, the good word at the end of the letter, that this starts with Jesus, continues with Jesus, and ends with Jesus. And so that as Christians, when we are called to do these things, to live life together in these specific ways, really in the face of all of the competing tensions that we're confronted with, work life, neighborhood life, uh, our own lives, our family narratives, when we're confronted with all of these things, we're to begin, continue, and end resting in Jesus. This is Paul's good word for us. He says in verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then catch this in verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is one of the things that sets apart the Christian faith is that it is not a series of commands that are, or initiation steps that you run through. And if you make it through the gauntlet, if you complete the spiritual marathon, then you get to arrive at Jesus. The Christian faith is one in which it is predicated or based upon grace. The fact that you can't. The fact that the mountain is too high for you. Look. I imagine there are some fantastically gifted and competent people in this room. I don't have any doubt. Just listening to the music this morning reminds me of that reality. But the gospel of Christianity, the good news of Christianity, is that if you just try to make it through life in your own competence, sharpening your strengths, that that is not enough. It won't do it. But that the good news is that Jesus, recognizing that, entered into our lives. He is the one who faithfully lived life so that we would have the freedom to continue as part of his community. 
It is Jesus who gave of himself to help the weak. It is Jesus who came alongside the faint-hearted. It is Jesus who prayed without ceasing. It is Jesus who rejoiced always, even in the face of his own death, as he struggled with that, recognizing that it is God's plan to save and deliver his people, and that it would be affected through him, and then that it would be freely offered to us. It is an invitation that you can enter into through faith and receive this very good word that Paul delivers to us. That Christianity and life together begins with Jesus. It continues through the strength that Jesus provides. And it looks forward to the day that Jesus returns. So that uh, however long God gives us in this neighborhood or in other neighborhoods, whether it's our current competing tensions of what life should look like, no matter what your struggles may be, the invitation of Christianity is yours. It is Paul's encouragement to you that life together begins, continues, and ends with Jesus himself. It's in that reality, it's with those lenses that we put on and then begin to work out all of his other commands. Let me pray that God gives us strength to do just that. God, we ask that you will provide for us. We ask that you will be with us. We ask that you will care for us. What a hard thing to be joyful in difficult circumstances, to know and respect and love our leaders and to do that well, to be able to truly engage with one another in good times and bad, to be known in such a busy place where there's so many competing things for a time. I pray that through your strength, Jesus, by your grace, we may love one another well. We ask this in your name. Amen.